that can be the the biggest enemy of confidence is that self-doubt, isn't it? And and second-guessing yourself and and always thinking back and wondering what you could have done differently when, you know, in live TV, you actually can't go back. It's done. I'm Katrina Blowers and welcome to Claiming Your Confidence, the podcast dedicated to reframing the confidence conversation and uncovering the hacks to conquer fear, imposter syndrome and the self-doubt holding us back from chasing our big dreams. I believe courage is contagious. So each week I'll bring you heart to hearts with my favorite people sharing their biggest confidence challenges and how they overcame them and inspiring us with gems of wisdom they've learned along the way. Thanks so much for listening. Claiming Your Confidence starts now. For nearly a decade, Edwina Bartholomew's beautiful, smiling face has greeted millions of people on the Seven Network's breakfast show, Sunrise. She's not only had to be bright-eyed before the rest of us have woken up properly, but able to turn on a dime at short notice for whatever live television will throw at her, from the Olympics to red carpet events to natural disasters. Recently, she added the role of mum to her title after giving birth to to the gorgeous Molly in December 2019. In this incredible conversation on claiming your confidence, Edwina and I talk about mum guilt and what she's told herself to get in the right headspace to go back to work after six months maternity leave, how she too struggles with imposter syndrome and her tips for overcoming it, what she tells herself before she does new things from reading the news for the first time to hosting Dancing with the Stars, when she's let self doubt get in the way of leaning in to big opportunities. What she's learned about confidence from interviewing some of the biggest celebrities on the planet, you are going to love this story. She gets really honest about her struggles with body positivity and how it's the biggest confidence challenge she's working on right now. And also her relationship with social media and navigating that trap of comparing yourself to other people's seemingly perfect lives. And for everything we mention, you can check out in the show notes over at www.katrinablowers.com. I know you're going to get so much out of this real honest chat. I've been lucky enough to work with Edwina many times over the years and I've seen at close range how she operates. So she was actually one of the first people I thought of when I was putting together my dream guest list for this podcast because she's always so authentic and generous with her advice and in imparting the life lessons on confidence she's picked up along the way. So let's get into to our conversation on confidence with Edwina Bartholomew. I'm going to just jump straight into this because I know you've got such a limited window of time. So um, I guess, like, how how are you going? You've, you've had six months off and now you're straight back into things. And I guess you thought you were juggling madly before, but life must be really different right now. It's so different. It's, um, it's different in that it's slower in some senses. I think we were so lucky 
in, in the timing. Uh, Molly, my daughter, was born in December, so we had that wonderful month where friends and family could drop over and, and, and you know, see her and see us and let me have a shower. And um, and then we had the lockdown and, yeah, life just ground to an absolute standstill, as it did for everyone. But it meant that we had this kind of extended period of, of um of isolation that you often feel as a, a new mum anyway um but it really did actually allow us to to slow down so even though I am back at work now and definitely feels like the pace is picked up and there's more on my plate I think I'm trying to hold on to a little bit of that I think it's been really good for me actually to re-examine like like the whole world really re-examine what's important who's important who you want to see what you want to do and how you want to spend your time so I think it's been a, a actually a great period of, of reflection for me yeah I think it has for everyone I know I just everyone I know and I don't know if it's the phase of life that me and my friends are in right now you know once you hit that sort of late 30s early 40s mark you start to look at everything and how you and I think having kids is you start to see life through a really different lens. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And particularly what's happened in the last few months, I think, too, you know, from the bushfires onwards to the to the global pandemic, I think having a, having a child at this time definitely gives you a different perspective. I think it, it, it gives you uh, a different, I guess, um, you know, it's interesting we talk about confidence because I think it does give you a, a different kind of confidence in that, you know, you are their team really aren't you, you know, it's kind of you and your husband or your partner uh and and this kind of small human you're a little unit and um <laughs> yeah it does give you a, a different kind of confidence in that you feel like well whatever you're doing must be the right thing because you know she's kind of doing okay um, I know. so yeah it's a really interesting time to be having this discussion with you because it's at a new um stage of my life where I have for so long um got so much from my work, invested so much in my work um, and, and derived a lot of my confidence from my work. And now there's a real you know, shift both internally and externally. And I remember when I first, when I had my first child, I also had a daughter first, which was so beautiful. And I never expected to be the mother of a girl. I always thought in my future, I would have boys. So um, when I, when I had this girl, I was like, oh my gosh, like, how do I do this? And how do I be a role model for her? And being a journalist, you, I just read everything that I could. But of course, nothing tells you, you don't have a playbook for, because every child is different. Every mothering experience is different. I know. And, and I, uh, I was sort of surprised by that, actually. I mean, I know there are umpteen number of books and podcasts and documentaries and everything you can watch. I probably didn't do as much reading as I should, um, but um, <laughs> we've just been winging it. It's worked out so far. Um, but, you know, I, I, I'm continually surprised that there isn't just one way to do it. Uh, in fact, I kind of wanted someone to say to me, this is the way to do it and this <laughs> yeah. will work. Um, but, you know, everyone has has their different approaches to to being a mum. Uh, same same as you, I, I didn't know what we're having, uh, so I, I actually thought we were having a boy. Um, so when she sort of um, popped out, I almost forgot to check. It was kind of, you know, the overwhelming experience and then um, I said to my husband, oh, you know, is it a boy, is it a girl? And I was so surprised, but it's been so 
lovely actually um you know i'm very fortunate probably like you to be surrounded by so many wonderful female friends you know i feel like she's kind of entered this amazing um cocoon of of, of friendship and, and love that I've certainly experienced my whole life um, and hopefully she will too with, with a great kind of close-knit community of, of girlfriends around her. Now, I always like to get people to set the scene at the very start and uh, we, we've just started straight into chatting, but we should point out to everyone listening that you're taking a break between segments on Sunrise <laughs> right now. So what are you wearing and where are you while we're recording this? I'm in a very bland conference room staring at uh, a Tour de Cure uh, framed jersey that Barrett's has obviously <laughs> put in here. Um, it's kind of like boxes everywhere and some random HR kind of paraphernalia. So it's it's less than glamorous. Uh, but, yeah, so uh, I'm currently working three days a week. So I come into the studio um, a mixture of times. Sometimes I come in super early at around, wake up about 2.30 and, and get in here at about um, – you know, 3.30-ish, uh, and other mornings I get to start a little bit later, and that, that's one of these mornings this morning. Um, so, yeah, so I have a few crosses in the morning and, and a little bit of time in between, so we're sort of squeezing this um, squeezing this in-between segments, which is good. So apologies if my sentences don't come come out in a coherent manner. Um, oh, my gosh. It's either because I'm distracted or because uh, Molly woke up three times last night before I managed to get it into, get into yeah. work. How, are you are you just mainlining coffee right now? Like, what are you? How are you doing this? Um, I'm just. I think I'm just after 15 years of weird hours and having commitments all over the shop. I just think I'm kind of used to it. I'm definitely drinking coffee I applaud any mother that decides to to not do that um but yeah no definitely definitely a few coffees already in this morning um but no I just think I'm just kind of getting on with it we're super fortunate that we've had a really lovely found a lovely lady to come in in the mornings and take care of Molly so I sort of know that that's all um taken care of it's interesting I had so many mums say to me oh I felt so guilty I I was in tears the first time you know I, I left my baby at home uh, I don't know whether it's I'm a hard ass or whether I'm just pragmatic, I'm not <laughs> sure, but I kind of know that this is what I, you know, we have to do as a family financially and also, you know, I do actually enjoy my work. So um, for me it was the right time to come back. I didn't want to come back uh, full-time. I only wanted to come back part-time. Um, so, yeah, I think it's kind of it, it's it's worked out so far and, and it's nice to be at work fully focused on either you know, sunrise or, or, you know, chatting to you or, or doing work things. And then I find when I go home, I'm, I'm now fully focused on being at home. I barely touch my phone all day. And, and I think that's actually a really nice division. Yeah. I think it makes you so much more intentional with your time and yes. talking about, you know, about confidence. I decided really early on that I just wasn't going to buy into the guilt. I had guilt about other mm. things, but not going back to work. Um, guilt is a really toxic and it's actually a useless emotion. It doesn't move the needle forward in any way. And I just mm. chose not to feel it. Well, the only thing that made me guilty was when people said to me how guilty they felt. And I'm like, oh, should yeah. I feel guilty? No, I feel like I'm providing for our, you know, our family. My my husband lost his job at the beginning of COVID. Um, so, you know, for us, I didn't have too much of a choice. He actually has just started working again, which is absolutely fantastic, uh, just from home. Um, so, yeah, it's just 
just a just a choice really but I think there's yeah there's so much tied up in that with any parenting decision, I think, um, which is completely unnecessary. You know, just make a decision that's right for your family, that's right for your child or children and and stick to it and find the people that you want to draw advice from and, and ask for advice and, and also stick to what they tell you, really. I think that's the approach I've tried to take from the very beginning and um, I think it stood me, stood me well in that there's no sort of mixed you know mixed ideas whirling around in your head and 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 feelings of second guessing yourself Mm, which is so important now in looking at your confidence journey I mean ever since I've known you you've always presented just so beautifully and you've always been extremely authentic in um, who you are both as a person and I've been lucky enough to work with you in a few different um, big stories uh, around the world actually we've we've managed to meet up around the world but also the way that you present yourself on screen and on social media so I wanted to go back you grew up well you grew up kind of all over the shop didn't you but you were born in Wayala and then you moved around because your dad was your dad in BHP yeah, so my dad worked for BHP and, and worked for BHP his, in, his entire career, really. So um, I was born in Wyala in South Australia, which is a small mining town, and uh, lived there till I was about five. I'm the youngest of, of three kids. Uh, and then from there, we moved to Sydney, uh, where my mum's family originally from. And then when I was nine, we moved overseas to Japan and um, to Malaysia. Um, and in the middle of all that, I came back to boarding school while my parents sort of continued to move and then eventually when I was uni they they returned to Australia and they live here now so I think in many ways um, the confidence I have as a person or I feel as a professional too is is part is very much a part of that um, upbringing you know I, I was you know I think you talk to anyone who's who moves moved schools or moved cities and you begin to um, you know, you kind of have to be a little bit confident because you're starting in a new school and meeting new people and you're moving to a new country and you have to just start all over again. Um, so yeah. I think that gives you an innate sense of, of self-confidence. Um, and I remember actually when I moved to Japan saying to my mum, you know, I, I know that she, she told me this story later, I didn't, didn't remember, um, I didn't feel like the, you know, the prettiest girl in class or the, you know, um, the, the skinniest girl or anything like that, but I knew I had a great sense of humour and I, and I and a good personality and I think I, I must have had a conversation with her at that point about, you know, how to make friends and, and that was, I felt, the, the best way to to um, to make, make buddies at the time and I think that's probably uh, something that I've carried with me throughout. Um, and then again, coming back to boarding school, you're kind of thrown in a house with, with heaps of girls you didn't know. And I didn't start in year seven. I started a bit later. So, um, you know, you have to, you have to have a a certain confidence, um, coming into, coming into an environment like that and, and carry yourself, I suppose, in order to survive. Yeah, I like brother house. It was actually a experience. But, you know, well, you, like, you've said that how much you've loved boarding school, and do you reckon you might even send Molly to boarding school one day? I'd love to. My husband and I both went to boarding school, and still to this day, our closest friends are friends we lived with um, in those kind of formative years. And I think as a result, we have a great relationship with our parents because you know you're not actually in the house for those fraught teenage years. So I would absolutely love to. Um, you know, we still live in Sydney at the moment, so it would be a bit. I'm not quite sure if I could send her 
halfway across the city to boarding school. Uh, I don't know how I'd feel about that, but certainly if we lived outside of Sydney and circumstances changed, absolutely. It was such a, such a great experience for me and, and it meant that uh, coming into the workplace and coming out into the world, I didn't know any different than girls can do anything and girls can be anything and nothing will hold you back. You know, it was just this kind of strong, surrounded 24-7 by strong female friends, strong female role models, strong female teachers. It was very much uh, a part of the messaging at my school that girls can really do anything. So I was kind of shocked when I <laughs> came, <laughs> came out into the real world and realised that, you know, that's not always the case. Uh, but, yeah, it was certainly a big part of, of who I am now. Yeah, so um, I'd love to hear about when you decided you wanted to pursue journalism. Was that something you always wanted to do or did you kind of fall into it? No, I wasn't one of those kids. I wish I was who, you know, starts doing work experience at a radio station when they're 10 and, and you know, really, then they run the school newspaper and all the rest of it. That was, it was me. Yeah, right, okay. <laughs> yeah. And I'm jealous of people like you because you have such focus from such an early age and it means in journalism you get that on-the-ground experience that is so vital uh, in, in later years. Um, that wasn't me. Uh, I had a really rough, um, fulfilling time at school, did lots of things, uh, you know, subjects like drama and English were my favourites and lots of public speaking and debating. And so there was a natural um, progression towards journalism. But it was really a friend of mine who, who now works at Channel 9 who did all the research, I had a really busy year 12, and, and she was the one who was doing journalism at, at CSU in Bathurst. And she kind of said, oh, this looks like a good course. And I was like, yeah, okay, that's, that sounds pretty good. So it, was, it wasn't necessarily uh, deliberate, but I did know I had all those building blocks in terms of all the subjects I liked and, and the things that I liked to do. So um, it definitely definitely made sense to do it, but it wasn't necessarily a, a passion I felt from a very early age. I thought about doing law and all sorts of um, all sorts of different things. So um, yeah, sort of fell into it, but then again, um, it was it was a path of its own making in, in some respects. And in 2004, you entered and won, because you must have been up against thousands of people, the intern competition at Sunrise. What made you, first of all, decide to enter it? Second of all, you must have been laser focused to win this thing. Well, I didn't enter it, actually. My um, university lecturer entered me into it. Um, the, one of the producers from the show, who's still a good friend of mine, went to CSU. She called um our lecturer Harry Dillon and, and said to him, look, can you recommend someone to take part in this competition? Because the idea was that some people would be from uni, other people would be from TAFE, other people wouldn't have a degree at all, they would just have had life experience. And um, so, yeah, so he entered me in it actually and, um, yeah, came along to Sunrise and we were back in, uh, if you're familiar with Sydney, we had a studio at Epping at the time, which oh, um, yeah. kind, of, kind of like Mount Cuther in, in Brisbane. It felt like a real TV station. You know, they had uh, props there and studios there and big sound stages, whereas where we are at the moment in Channel 7 is kind of an old bank building, so it's not quite as um, imposing. But, yeah, I remember going to, to Epping and we competed for a job and we had to do all this kind of work experience type tasks and answered Akoshi and Mel on, on various challenges and the then 
executive producer Adam Boland. Uh, so it was quite a bizarre experience. And at the end of the week, um, I got the job. So yeah, it was an amazing start to my career. Uh, I, you know, I have left and come back since, but it does feel like a lot of my, um, you know, a lot of my career has been spent here, and it's been been wonderful. I've had some some incredible experiences since then. It all started. Yeah, with a little tiny competition and making people's coffee and printing people's scripts and <laughs> starting from the very, 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 very lowest rung of television. Yeah, almost the equivalent of the the mail room. So for you, yeah, well, um, I did the mail too. Yeah, oh, did you? So, yeah, I, I probably did better at the mail than I did at making coffee. I was very bad at uh, very bad at making coffee. So I know when you walk in because I've done so much work experience in my time and. You have to you have to kind of walk in with a humble attitude because you don't want to you know be too big for your boots and you really do need to earn your stripes. But you also need to exude a confidence that shows the bosses that you know if if a big story breaks, you are ready to go and you are absolutely capable of getting on air. So how did you how did you both be humble and show producers at Sunrise that you are capable of bigger things? It's such a delicate balance, isn't it? I always try to give advice to people who come in for work experience and, and walk in the door and and um, instantly demand that they want to be the host of a show. And I kind of say to them, look, I fully appreciate that. I'm no stranger to ambition myself, but, you know, you do need to uh, temper that enthusiasm with some preparation and, and, you know, hard work in the years leading up to getting one of those positions, which are very rare in, in television. Um, so what did I do? I... Um, in my so you know we did we did all the segments and and challenges as part of the competition and I also spent time at home gathering together story ideas and pitches and put together what was essentially a, a kind of school scrapbook of ideas and took them into Adam's office and I said look you know here are ten ideas for the weather and here are ten ideas for segments and 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 here are you know ten topics you can cover in this segment and uh, he said actually that was what got me across the line because I you know left at the end of the day and obviously put more thought into it and and went to that extra effort to bring it in and and kind of present it to him in terms of getting on air that was again uh a bit of a a bit of a fluke really um the current our current and and then line producer David Walters came up with this segment where I would answer viewer questions on TV. So viewers would send in questions and I would research the answers and present them. So that was my real first experience of, of live television. I would stand in front of this whiteboard and, and present the answers to you know, either complicated or inane questions sent in by viewers. <laughs> uh, but it was actually a fantastic learning experience because there was no auto cue and I had to do all the research and present the answers. And I think it probably gave me much more of a conversational approach to presenting than perhaps someone who went through a more traditional path through, through news and, and just doing packages and just having kind of a newsy voice. So I've always been, I suppose, just me on air. And um, as you said, on social media and all the, you know, all the other channels we have now, but it's been, I guess, authentic and, and, to, to for want of a better word normal um you know from the very beginning just because of the way I got started yeah and 
I know that you've just done so many, like every single step that you've taken, it's kind of been the first time you've had to do different things, like the first time you would have read the news and the first time you would have covered a natural disaster and then doing really varied things like dancing with the stars, you know, just things that I guess you never thought you would have done. What do you tell yourself before you do those new things? Like, do you, do you really prepare or do you wing it? Like, how do you, how do you get that confidence? Oh, I feel like I absolutely shit myself every time, to be honest. honest. Oh, gosh. Um, You know, it's interesting you say I I appear to be a confident person because I think there's much to be said about putting on a show and putting on appearances uh, versus how you actually feel inside. And there have been plenty of times where I have let nerves get the better of me and I haven't done a job that I would, you know, I haven't done the best job at things and, and I'm the worst person at, at reflecting and, and rehashing and going back over things that didn't pan out the way that I'd hoped. Um, so in that sense, that can be the, the biggest enemy of confidence is that self-doubt, isn't it, and, and second-guessing yourself and, and always thinking back and wondering what you could have done differently when, you know, in live TV, you actually can't go back. It's done. (laughs) Yeah. In terms of preparation, it's key to everything. It's key to a live cross. It's key to taking on, you know, a random hosting role like Dancing with the Stars. It's it's key to live news. Preparation is everything. Um, I I could definitely attest for that with you because I remember we were up in – Oh gosh, I don't. I think it was Bowen, and the tail of a cyclone whipped around to hit us, and it was quite unexpected because we thought we'd already been through the bulk of that weather system. And it was late at night, and we were you were meant to be staying at a a hotel right on the coast, and we were driving there in convoy, driving rain, and all of a sudden the roads just started to flood, like within thirty seconds, and our cars were almost getting swept away. So we had to make plan B and go and stay at the cameraman's parents' house, which thankfully they'd left keys out for. I remember we got back there, we were drowned rats. You'd been working all day. It was like 11 o'clock at night and you were still on your computer prepping for the next day and writing a package. (laughs) I was just like, who is this woman? (laughs) What is she doing? Probably a bit crazy. But I've always, um, I think probably because I started as a producer and have always worked behind the scenes as well as on camera, I do like to be possibly to the detriment of, of hours of sleep sometimes um, across all the details. You know, if there's a, if I've been on the ground and I've gathered information and done interviews and I want to make sure that the ones that I, you know, the, the package that I present the next morning is exactly how I would like it to be. So I think there's, you know, an element of perfectionism there and, you know, sometimes can be a little bit frustrating, but I think, ultimately you're the one responsible for what goes to air so you have to be involved in in every step of it and I think in stories like that um it's 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 good to be engaged the whole day otherwise you miss something you know you can't switch off at nine or ten in the morning and expect to then front up on air the next morning and uh present what is an accurate depiction of the last 24 hours of news because you know you're asleep or you missed it so you know it's a little bit different in those situations I think when you're when you're in an environment where there's rolling news and and where there's developing news you really have to be be part of it it's a bit different when I'm obviously in here 
at um you know at sunrise i can't pretend that i uh, know the intimate details of Eskimo Joe's last seven years of <laughs> writing music and then come in and talk about them you know so you know there's it's, it's different degrees of preparation I remember when I did the Winter Olympics which was such a big deal for me and I was so excited to do it I absolutely crammed you know there wasn't um there wasn't a fact about a Winter Olympic I did not know and I hadn't in my, you know hadn't compiled in my little vanilla folder um so but only because I've been in situation. Uh, sorry, I will preface that by saying only because I've been in situations where sport is not my specialty, and I've been caught out by not having the right information in my head. And I feel better going into a situation if it's all up there. I may not use any of it, but at least I know stepping into that live studio or stepping into that MC gig or stepping into that interview that if I needed it, the information is there somewhere that I can draw on. Yeah, I I love that. Another way that I've grown to look at things that has helped me as well is I'm like you, sport isn't my number one field of expertise. And I got chucked into a situation where I had to host the launch of Seven Summer of Cricket last year. And it was a last minute thing. So, uh, and I had to interview uh, players up on stage. And I thought to myself, okay, I don't have time to cram. So I just have to be comfortable that I'm enough in this situation. So I was asking them questions like, you know, what do they do to unwind at home? And does their wife watch cricket? And I was just really things that I would be interested in knowing. And people came up to me afterwards and said that my questions were their favourite of the day because they got to learn things about the cricketers that they never knew before. So I think Mm -hmm. sometimes just having that confidence that actually you are enough as you are and you don't need to be something you're not. And then you've been picked for that job. For a reason too. I mean, it's funny you mentioned that because, oh God, it must be three years ago now and, and you saying, telling me that story still just, just I break out in a sweat. Um, Seven asked me to host um, a the, the grand final event at the AFL before the game. <laughs> so, I mean, dear God, it is that the Prime Minister, the opposition leader, oh, all these Melbourne business identities, um, oh, you know, all of the Channel 7 head honchos. I mean, it was, it was anyone, Walid Ali, like, I mean, the guy was looking around there and going, Christ, what have I done? <laughs> and AFL, I mean, oh, my gosh, it's like a foreign language to me. Anyway, I said yes to doing it because Hamish McLaughlin was doing it with me. And so I was like, okay, Hamish is the expert. I'll, you know, I can easily be the offsider. And then a day ahead of the event, Seven got in touch and said, Hamish can't do it anymore. So it's oh, just no. you. And I said, oh, look, no. look, I am not one to shy away from a challenge, but I will tell you right now that I am not doing this event by myself. It's the first time I've actually pushed back and said, you know what? I, I fully believe I am enough, but I'm not enough for this. <laughs> so thank God. Uh, and Hamish is a good mate. I, I just texted him. I was like, mate, do not leave me hanging here. Like, I cannot do it. I, co- I could not. And um, thankfully he came along, which was good. But still, and then I honestly, he did the bulk of the work and I had to do Oh, near enough is never good enough, is it? I had to do literally three sentences. You know, like I, I, I was up on the stage and gone in such a flash, I wouldn't have made an impact on anyone. 
or, yeah. you know, bugging it up in, in at all. I just wasn't giving myself any window. And afterwards I was like, well, that was a bit silly because I actually, because of my own self-doubt and nerves and just wanting to get out of the room and, and fly out of Melbourne and get anywhere but there, I probably didn't do the best job because I was just so focused on get, let it be over, make it be over. I don't want to be up here. I can't be here. I don't know anything about AFL. Don't ask me any questions. Get me out of this room. Get me out of this city. Get me out of this state. Um, goodbye. Uh, and, you know, I look back on that and I think, oh, you know, it's so silly because I should have just applied everything that I normally do to every other situation um, and and use those skills that, you know, I've spent close to 20 years honing but yeah, I was just so so afraid of, of buggering it up that I probably didn't do the best job um, I could have. Yeah, and we so often just have to get out of our own way, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I'd love to talk to you about your time. You've covered so many red carpet events and you've seen like some really big deal celebrities in the flesh and interviewed them. What have you learned about confidence from those kinds of interactions? It's actually nothing about them and it's all about you again. You know, it's um, not the interview, I should should say. That's all about them, obviously. Um, How you enter the room, how you ask the first question, what you ask is so important. And I learned it the hard way because my very first celebrity interview was Billy Connolly, who's such a legend, amazing talent. But I was so nervous, again, that... He could tell and it, as a result, wasn't a fantastic interview. And another experience I had where I went to Vegas and interviewed Andre Agassi and I'd done all this prep work and I on the plane I didn't sleep a wink and I'd read his book and I'd done all this research and I had piles of notes in front of me and it was for Sunday night so it felt like a big deal and we had 40 minutes and I'd gone, you know, the producer wasn't, quite sure who I was and I wasn't quite sure who he was so he was very kind of hands-on about what I should ask and you know um, what direction I should take and areas to to focus on and whatnot so as you know I was so pent up going into the interview and I had mountains of notes for 40 minutes Andre Agassi did not look away from my eyes oh stared for 40 minutes and so I could never look at my notes. And so I just <laughs> had to have this super intense conversation, so intense that he sweated so much that he had to go and change shirts halfway through the interview. <laughs> Actually, no, they couldn't change shirts because of continuity. So he had to go into the bathroom, dry his shirt with a hairdryer, then come back and sit down. <laughs> it was such an intense experience. Ever since, I've never gone into an interview with notes. So now I do all my preparation beforehand. I commit it to memory. Then I go into the interview just for a chat. Yeah. I make sure that that person knows that I've cared enough about their movie, their record, their life, their Twitter profile, their kids, whatever's going on, that I'm engaged enough to commit all of that information to memory. And it's an amazing tool because it's almost disarming instead of looking at someone who's got a page of typed out notes on their lap that potentially they didn't even type they're just chatting to you and I and I find particularly with celebrities that has been the best approach uh, in terms of getting a very genuine 
response out of them because they're like, oh, you know what, out of the 50 people I've spoken to today in this junket style situation where they're, you know, running people in horse and hound, not in uh, horse and hound kind of um, <laughs> style, they're yeah. actually here's someone who kind of looks like they might know what they're doing and seems to have done the work. So, you know what, I might just have a genuine chat with them. So that's been quite quite successful, I think. And it all comes down to the first question. I focus a lot of my effort on that very first question because instantly you can establish a rapport or the complete reverse and you've blown your five minutes and that's it because that's all the time you have. So it's, it's very you have to work pretty quickly and you have to work pretty hard to elicit sort of um, elicit something of substance that will actually materialise into a story the next day. Yeah, fantastic advice, Edwina. I wanted to talk to you now about the medium that you and I both work in. It's a visual medium, like it or not. You know, we we have to spend a lot of time looking a certain way. We get a lot of help with that, which is great. But the outcome of that, and that's what I've been thinking about a lot lately, now that my daughter is 12 and expressing some desire to go on social media, which I'm fighting tooth and nail right now. <laughs> But it's that whole uh, what what life is really like versus the construct versus the highly curated, highly edited version of ourselves that we put out on social media. I'd love to know, given there is a lot of interest in what you put on social media and a lot of your posts end up in places like the Daily Mail, they end up being republished. What's your relationship like with social media and, and how do you decide how much of yourself to put out there? Um, it's a tough one and something I've been thinking about much more since having a child and making the decision to share photos of her online. Firstly on that, the reason I do that is because I feel like my entire life and career, I've actually been so lucky to have a very healthy, genuine lovely experience on social media in that overwhelmingly the Sunrise viewers particularly have been part of our wedding and been part of our engagement and been part of our, you know, being pregnant and been part of all these significant milestones in our life. And so when I had Molly, she gives us so much joy and I wanted to share her with the world. But I didn't want to do it in a very authentic way. I think I found it really difficult to look at images of these mums who had it all together and looked so glamorous and didn't really tell the whole story, it seemed to me, on social media. So from the get-go I was very truthful about how overwhelming I found it and how um, confronting I found the, the you know, undulating emotions and hormones and... Um, all of that, I wanted to sort of include all of that in, in, in amongst the, the photos of, you know, how gorgeous she is and, and how cute she looks. So that was a, a conscious decision I made there. In terms of my own voice on social media, I think that comes down to confidence as well. You, you learn over time on television and as part of, I guess, public debate on various issues that some can be more contentious than others and I feel like it's only in the last few years that I have felt confident enough 
to share my own opinions on potentially controversial matters on social media because you know it's not always going to be lollipops and rainbows you know like you are going to experience some contentious debate in that space so it's taken me a while to have an authentic voice on all matters on social but I think that's a really important thing as well because it shouldn't just be curated pictures of, of fashion and food and and and, and life and and children I think you have both a responsibility to share your voice on important social issues and also which is something I've really really come to understand in the last two weeks I've been surprised by my own um, ignorance in, in particularly the issues of race following people who will then present to you an uncurated version of their own lives and mm challenge your own perspective on life and give you an insight into another walk of life and I and I feel like that's something I've been really trying to do over the last few weeks particularly is become more authentic myself and be more authentic in the people that I choose to follow. Oh gosh, I love that. Now I know you don't have much time left, so I'm going to throw some rapid That's fire okay, I'm questions at you. To... Okay. <laughs> all right, so here are some rapid questions to finish off our chat. First of all, what is your quick confidence hack? If you had one piece of advice to give women on confidence, what would it be? You know what? I, it would just be to drown out the self doubt. And find people who really, truly believe in you if you can't believe in yourself and listen to them, you know? Why do we always listen to the loudest negative voice but not the loudest positive voice? So find those positive voices in your life and if you listen to them enough, you'll believe them and then you won't Mm. have to listen to them anymore because you'll be living that yourself, you know? You'll, you'll, I guess, be... um, tooting your own horn and and believing in yourself enough to have that inside you. I used to be a big believer in reading everything, reading all the comments online and not buying an own, you know, not buying a ticket to my own parade and thinking it was healthy for me to to listen to negative comments and and, and act on them and reply to them. And, And then a few years ago, I just decided to not do that anymore because I realised it was having such a detrimental effect on my own confidence and my own perception of myself, I wasn't listening to all the lovely stuff. I was just listening to the negative forces and voices and that can be so damaging at any age for any woman or man in any profession. So just truly focus on the opinions that matter to you, be they, you know, public figures or be they people close to you in your life and and just listen, just listen to those voices, kind of try to drown out the other stuff. I think that is such key advice because when you are trying to get really good at what you're doing, you can take a lot of feedback from a lot of different places. And for me, I used to do the same thing. I used to read every single comment and the the critics would always stand out in my mind. And Mm. it took me a long time to work out who to listen to. And a great quote that I love is, um, never take criticism from someone you don't aspire to be like. Um, And that's Mm. now the filter through which 
which I look at any feedback. I think, is that person doing something that I aspire to do or who, who do I hold them in really high esteem? And if I don't, then, you know, I, I, I don't mm. think their feedback is relevant to me. And don't compare yourself to other people too because that can be a real confidence buster as well. I found that on maternity leave a little bit. I was I was feeling a bit of kind of FOMO um, by looking at other people's lives um, when I was sitting at home with the most divine daughter and, and a lovely family and, and having the most wonderful experience. I had to check myself a little bit and say, you know, this is so beautiful. Don't waste this time by comparing what's going on outside these walls with your own experience because everyone is guilty of that and you just have to observe other people's lives, celebrate their wins as much as you would celebrate your own and and try not to compare and contrast because that can be such, such a confidence buster. Oh, absolutely. And social media is just the worst for yeah, that. And even though and unfollow even people though, if they're making you feel feel like that. Too. Or mute. Or mute is the pause. best. <laughs> yeah. I mean, mute them and return to them when you're feeling I've had to do that. I've had to mute people and return to you know, return to them when I'm feeling a bit better about myself. <laughs> now I'd love to know, is there a book you've read or a favorite quote that's really helped you on your way in your confidence journey? There's a quote from Barbara Walters that I always come back to and I'm probably paraphrasing, but it's basically just saying there's only one Barbara Walters, so you might as well be the best version of Barbara Walters you can be. And that applies to anyone. There's only one Katrina Blouse, there's only one Winnie Bartholomew. You only get one life. So you might as well just hit it hard, do your very best, be as confident as you can be, but also appreciate the moments when you might feel a bit, of self-doubt and a bit down on yourself and just you know run your own race a bit I think and and I love that if you do a bit of research on Barbara Walters she suffers from self-doubt and for those of you know for those listening who don't know her I mean she was the preeminent female journalist journalist in in general of of her time and such a trailblazer so for someone like that to experience self-doubt and, and worry about going for a job and worry that her latest interview wasn't the best she could possibly do, I mean, everyone feels it. Everyone goes through it. You're no different in that respect, but you can be different in the way that you try and handle it and try and recover recover from it and, and, and don't let it defeat you in many ways. Mm. What do you do? You probably don't have much time at the moment for anything other than just life, but what do you do just for pure joy, something that doesn't have an outcome or an achievement-oriented goal attached to it? Um, I sound so old, but I actually am getting into gardening um, at, 30, <laughs> at 36. Um, so ancient. To, to, to strap, on the, uh, strap on the shears. Um, now, we have a f- property outside of Sydney that, we purchased a few years ago. Uh, it's a farm, and that to me has really been such a source of joy. We run it as a business, which I've loved. Actually, that side of things, uh, run it as an Airbnb, but also to be able to invest so much of our time and have so many of our seminal family moments there. Um, yeah, we love it. We absolutely love it. So that's that's a real passion project for me. Um, other than that, I mean, actually, not that much time at the moment. Mm. Um, so. I'm just enjoying being. Yesterday I went down to the beach, leaned up against a tree and I was feeding Molly and then she fell asleep and I just looked out at the sea. 
you know <laughs> I mean how beautiful I cannot tell you in the last 15 years or when I've ever been so still and that's, oh, a, that's a lovely lovely thing how amazing and they're those moments that I know are going to stand out for you when you look back at uh, Molly's baby years you'll remember that I remember a time when um, my son was snuggled on my shoulder after a feed and I just smelt his neck and I can still, when I shut my eyes, I can still remember that moment. They're, they're mm. just so special. And we lead such frantic lives and, and news is such a frantic business and, oh God, you, you tell me that story about the cameraman's house and the floods. I can barely remember that. I can barely remember <laughs> so many amazing things that have happened over the last few years career-wise. So I'm just really trying to, to take the time at the moment and, and capture those memories and, and, and keep them, store them away somewhere in my brain so um, they're there forever. And finally, you've been so generous with your time this morning and with all of the amazing insights that you've given us on confidence. But I'd love to know what the future of confidence looks like for you. What are you working on in yourself right now that will take you to where you next want to be in your life? I want to feel more body confident. I want to not worry so much about the, you know, the the, the bumps and, and dimples that I have post-childbirth coming into a commercial TV environment. That's not easy. <laughs> she says mm-hmm. that she breathes heavily through her spanks. <laughs> <laughs> thank so, God yeah, for Spanx. Real thank God for Spanx. And Spanx make jeans now. That's not a, that's not what? a product placement, but I've I've just <laughs> bought some and they are amazing. Um, so I want to focus on body positivity, but I also want to focus on on what we were discussing earlier, and that's being more confident in expressing my true opinions and not being afraid of, of joining important public debates on on issues that matter. No easy feat, those two things, but um, I'm going to try my best. You're amazing. Thank you so much for your chat this morning and for being so beautifully honest. Oh, thank you, Katrina. It's such a wonderful project. And if anyone can can tune in and, and feel like they're walking away from this podcast with a bit more pep in their step and a bit more confidence or job done, it's a wonderful thing. What a great chat with Edwina. It really epitomizes my mission in reframing the confidence conversation because when you scratch the surface, most people have incredible stories behind what seems on the outside like invincible confidence. I love how generous and down-to-earth Edwina always is about how the road to conquering your nerves just isn't always smooth, about having to remind yourself you are enough just as you are, and to check in with yourself about whether you're letting that self-doubt or your inner critic stop you from stepping up to your potential. If you found some inspiration in this episode, it would mean the absolute world to me if you hit subscribe now and leave me a five-star review. And because we are a brand new podcast, I would be so grateful if you can help us get some cut through and get the word out there by taking a screenshot, sharing and tagging Eddie at Edwina underscore B on Instagram. And of course, Katrina Blowers, my my name on Instagram or the Instagram account claiming your confidence. And please share this episode with anyone you know who would benefit from Edwina's incredible confidence tips because courage really is contagious. I hope you're having a great week. Until next time, thank you for listening to Claiming Your Confidence.